most important thing for a father not to do is to embarrass his child. And when you come down and realize that he's a professor at a college, it makes you feel pretty old. I'm thrilled to be on your campus today and to share in the first day of your winter-spring semester. And I trust that the things that I have to say will be helpful. But I thought I'd start off with uh, some things from the campus comedy. Do you ever read that in uh, Reader's Digest? Anyway, a couple things. I thought I might just give you a preamble for those music groups that are going to be traveling this spring. I imagine during spring break or Easter break, you might be doing some touring throughout the country. Let me just give you a little illustration of what happened to one group. Members of Atlanta Christian College Choir Tour, we traveled around the country by bus, singing at churches. One day we stopped at a restaurant whose specialty is pecan waffles. When our steaming waffles were served, we all bowed our heads to give thanks. As we prayed, the waitress whispered in my ear, if you're looking for the pecans, they're on the bottom. You don't have to laugh if you don't want to. It's no big deal, you know, one of those things. But I thought I'd just give you a couple, a couple of introductions here. Some of you seniors are going to be doing interviews this spring uh, for prospective jobs. And here's an illustration of a senior who was immersed in planning for a life after graduation. Resumes, job interviews, and making good first impressions. Our professor told us about a friend who had used a creative approach when applying for a job. He had studied up on the firm and was granted an interview in another city. On the big day, he arrived in a clean t-shirt, jeans, and sneakers. When questioned about his unusual attire, he responded that he wanted to impress them with himself, not with his clothes. The next time they saw him, he said he would be wearing a suit. He was hired. We all marveled at his bravery and ingenuity. A classmate asked the professor how the fellow had come up with such a brilliant plan. It was simple, our professor replied. On his trip to the interview, the airline lost his luggage. <laughs> it's okay. No big deal. Now, some of you just uh, have finished finals. and Do you have your grades yet from the last semester? Bad, good, indifferent, whatever. Incidentally, you're all starting with A's this today. Everybody has an A as of today. And when you end the semester, it'll be up to you whether it will remain an A. Some of you are not going to have A's by the end of the semester, but remember this chapel. Just remember this chapel that you had a chance. Toward the end of the last semester at Wartburg Theological Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa, my American church history professor announced that we would have a two-part final exam, a classroom test, and five to seven-page home take-home essay. One student asked, will we pass if we write only three pages? And some of you have tried that. Successful or not, I don't know. If you can do it well in three pages, the professor replied, you'll pass. My friend John then raised his hand and asked, 
How about if we do it poorly in eight pages? <laughs> Reality has struck home for some. Thinking about what I'm talking about today, I want to talk about hope. And as I look at the world and I look at all the circumstances around us, and I look at people who in my world are living in situations and how easy it is in those circumstances of life to always blame someone else. I can blame my parents for the way I act. I can blame my teachers for my poor performance here at the college. I can blame my roommate for having the radio on too loud when I was trying to study. You see, all of life, we have an opportunity to look at life really in realistic way or look at it and always have a shadow on the other side to whom we may look to blame us for the situation. Robert Louis Stevenson suffered poor health from the time that he was a young child until he died at age 44. And he had some suggestions and, and I want you to think about this in your interpersonal relationships. And I'm going to talk today about what kind of person are you on this campus? What are you bringing to Master's College this spring? What kind of positive influence will you be on this campus this year? Some of you are brand new. Some of you have never been on this campus until last week. And you're coming in and you're not quite sure how you fit. And I'm saying you too, this semester, will be leaving an impact on this campus. And Robert Louis Stevenson had some things to say. He said, make up your mind to be happy. Learn to find, find pleasure in simple things. Make the best of every circumstance. No one has everything and everyone has some sorrow mixed in with the gladness of life. The trick is to make the laughter outweigh the tears. Don't take, your t don't take yourself too seriously. Don't think that somehow you should be protected from misfortunes that befall other people. Don't let others set your standards. Be yourself. Don't borrow trouble. Imaginary things are harder to bear than the actual ones. And oh, how psychologically we, we, we hurt ourselves by thinking this and thinking that and thinking how this person is plotting against me and how this person is trying to give me a bad time. Let me say again, don't borrow trouble. Imaginary things are harder to bear than the actual ones. Don't spend your life brooding over sorrows or mistakes. Don't be one who never gets over things. Do what you can for those less fortunate than yourself. Wonderful suggestions for campus life in the spring of 1993. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Romans, the 15th chapter. We're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to go to verse 13. In the, in the 14th chapter of Romans, he's talked about the weak 
Christians all around him. And he's talking about their faith and how they are struggling to find their place within the church. What should they eat? What should they wear? What did Christ really do for them? And then he comes down to chapter 15 and said, We, and I would like to include a very inclusive all of us in this room here this morning, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've heard the phrase where it says, hope springs eternal. And I'm wondering what... President-elect Clinton is feeling this morning. In the last month or so, the world seems to have capitulated before him. He thought he would be able to deal with all of the economic issues of the United States. He hadn't anticipated that we'd have all the troops in Somalia and that Bosnia and Czechoslovakia and and now in the in the in the Russian government there is so much dis unity and so much unrest. He hadn't planned that we again would be sending missiles into Iraq. But on Wednesday noon when he takes the, the oath, then hope will become reality. All of his aspirations in the last year in the campaign now will have its fulfillment when he comes down to that podium and he will take the oath of office for the President of the United States. I had the opportunity this summer to speak in Egypt at a conference. And we drove through Cairo. And the person in the car said, there are 14 million people in Cairo during the day. And I looked at those people. And incidentally, in Egypt, you can't go and be an evangelist. While we were there, the, the doctor who did the interpreting for me, uh, his neighbor had been killed the week when he came up to our conference because he had shared Christ with a, with a Muslim in that particular city. But when I drove through Cairo and I said, who will bring Jesus Christ to these people? The children. The hopelessness. All around people looking for scraps of food, children not being cared for. And I said, where is the hope for those boys and girls and those men and women in that particular city? I've gone to the hospital room as in, the, in the ministry. And I've gone into a hospital, it wasn't too many years ago, and there we had two ladies from our church who were terminally ill. Both were going to be dying. 
And interestingly, I came into the room of the one. The drapes were all pulled. It was dark. And I felt a heaviness and a morbidity. And I felt, oh, somebody is dying in this room. And I came and I met with a patient. And I prayed and I did my thing. And I came away from there saying, oh, what heaviness in dying. But thank the Lord she was a Christian. I went down the hall to the second patient from our church. The drapes were pulled. The sunshine was coming in. The people were laughing. And she was just as terminal. But she had taken hold of something that that other patient didn't have. And that was the reality of who Jesus Christ is today. And her hope was not just for going into heaven... Her hope was that Jesus Christ would take her today. And my question to you students is, is, are you a Christian today because of today or because it is an insurance policy for when you go and when you die? I want you to know that being a Christian is the most exciting adventure that I've ever been on. And I, I travel. I've been... I've been on the road significantly now for the last five years since I worked at Scripture Press. I'm involved in in, uh, their ministry uh, in Wheaton, Illinois. And as I travel, and I go around, and I just see life as it is in the country, and I say, oh, what a privilege to be a Christian. Is that how you feel? You see, the greatest thing that's happened to me is that when Jesus Christ came and gave me eternal life, and it started today, I don't have to wait until I die. I have it today. And when I think of the Word here, it says, the Word of God teaches us so that through endurance and in the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. And wherever I go, I pray that my personage my personality, my life would be one of hope. I can always tell when people walk with their eyes down that some preoccupation is upon their life. And I also walk people, watch people when they walk. Some walk straight and they have a very quick gait about them and they're just walking straight and forward looking and they are by posture saying, Things are in focus for a very particular thing in my life. How do you walk? I went in the army and the first thing the, the guy said, Taves, you better quit waddling. I apparently did this. And I would waddle back and forth. Incidentally, my children waddle. <laughs> Watch Brian on campus and... I said, come on, kid, straighten up. Don't go like this. Just walk straight. And I want you to know that as far as my life is concerned and what I want to be, I want to be what Jesus Christ wants me to be today and that my life would be an example so that when people see me on this campus, they see me in the airplane, they see me wherever I'm in the country, and when people see you, they see by your personage, by the way you walk, the way you talk that you're a person of hope. What's hope? The definition of hope is favorable and confident expectation, the desire for certain events to happen, 
the anticipation for good things. Favorable and confident expectation, desire for certain events to happen. The anticipation for good things. And then I read here, but the God of hope. And I used to think that God was out there in big heaven. And he was seeing what he could do to me to make life more difficult. I grew up in an environment where we, I became a Christian every day because I, 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 I might have slipped a little yesterday. And there was very little joy. But when I see that the God of hope is the one who is looking at me favorably and confidently, has the expectation, the desire for certain events to happen, and God wants good things to happen to our lives. When I was in high school, I said, Oh, Jesus, don't come back until I graduate from high school. Because I was just anticipating good things to happen. Then I got into college and and incidentally, when I was in high school, the Lord's return was really imminent. I mean, then it was going to happen any day. As a little boy with Hitler and Mussolini, it was happening any day. And so anyway, I got into high school and then I got into college. And I said, oh Lord, don't come back until I graduate from college. And I said, oh Lord, please don't come back until I have a real job. And I can have some money. And then, Lord, don't come back until I get married. And, Lord, please, I want to have a family. I want to know how to, all these things go. And then I had my children. And then when they became junior hires, then I said, Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> but he didn't. So we got through those years. Then I'm now at 60. And I say, oh Lord, I pray that you won't come back now until I have a chance to retire or do something and travel and all those things. You see, hope. And when I walk down the street here, I walk with the anticipation that God has got some good things planned for me. And when you are on this campus this spring, that you might somehow be able to reflect that kind of a perspective in Jesus. Do you know God well enough? that you have the sense of His direction in your life that He wants good things to take place for you. Now, He talks about hope in a two particular process statements. He says, for example, in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us through that through endurance and encouragement of the Scripture we might have hope. But the first word is endurance. That's the ability to withstand pain or hardship or prolonged use of strain. A couple of weeks ago, this couple was on the road between San Francisco and Idaho, and they got caught in that snowstorm. And in that snowstorm, the young man found a cave for his wife, and she was in the cave with her little baby, and he walked out to find some help for the family. While she was in that cave those days, that was a passive experience for her. And when I think of endurance, I think of it in two perspectives. Number one, patience. And the patience aspect is, don't act. Wait for God to reveal His will. 
And that lady in that cave, cold, trying to keep her baby alive, waited upon God. But on the other side of this word endurance is perseverance. And that is an active term. To be complete, to go straight ahead. Don't quit. Steadfast. And there was her husband in waist-deep snow, walked 30 miles finding help. And in this word it said, perseverance, don't quit, be steadfast. And he became partially delirious, but inside was that inner force that said, I can't quit because of my baby. I can't quit because of my wife. And he was obedient to that inner drive that he had in his spirit. Now, when I think about having hope in God's perspective, he said, I want you to know that through endurance, you might receive hope. Some of you are going to quit school every day as far as your mind is concerned. You're going to say, I can't handle this baloney. I can't handle this stuff one more time. The professors are unreasonable. The school is out to lunch. I'm quitting. Now somebody will give you an encouraging word and then you will postpone it until tomorrow. And then you will go and then you'll go through that process and soon it will be the end of the semester and then you'll be going uh, with finals and you'll be pleasantly surprised and then you come back to school again next fall. That seems to be the process. But something in most of us would like us to quit. And you will never realize God's plan and His best interest for you if you will not say, God, I'm going to wait for you to act in my behalf. And on the other hand, I will not quit irrespective of the situations around me, irrespective of the difficulties that I'm facing this semester, irrespective of what people will say to me and do to me, I have a resolve. And my resolve is to have my focus on the God of hope. And I will be patient. And I will have the endurance. I will have the perseverance that God would be able to accomplish that which He has called me to here on this particular campus. The second word is encouragement. That through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Encouragement means to comfort, to sustain, to be an advocate, to be an affirmer, to be someone who strengthens, someone who supports. Someone who will walk down the sidewalk with me who'll just walk beside me and may not say a word, but the presence will be an encouragement. Someone who just takes and puts his arm around me or puts his arm on my shoulder or just goes and says, God will bring you through. someone that you could write a note to. And many of you here on this campus have opportunity to interface with people. But to bring hope to someone, you write them a note. I made a resolve that every Monday morning I go to the office and I just say, Lord, I want to write five letters to people 
today somewhere in my acquaintance background and Lord just lay these five people's names upon my mind and I write them a letter and just write a letter and say just thought about you today and want to encourage you I can't believe the letters that I get back from people who say oh Rod the letter came in such a significant moment in my life thank you for just taking the time to write me when I talked earlier about being an impact on this campus this winter spring semester there are people on this campus who are hurting there are people on this campus who are almost ready to give up and you can be that agent for God to come and walk walk alongside and be that encourager and comforter in their lives but it will take your willingness to be used of God in that particular time. There was an article in Reader's Digest about a young man named Mark Eklund. And my wife and I were in Washington, D.C., and we went to the Vietnam Memorial. And there we went and asked the forest ranger, said, would you find us the name of Mark Eklund? And then they took a piece of paper and they rubbed out with, with uh, um, chalk. They put his name on my card, and I have a card at home. And it said, Mark Eklund. Mark Eklund went to school in Morris, Minnesota. Catholic school. A sister was his teacher. He was, he talked incessantly. Never stopped talking. And then the teacher would correct him and he would say, thank you for teaching me. He had her in third grade and then again in seventh grade. And one Friday, when things weren't going well in the class, the teacher saw how frustrated the students were and edgy and to stop the crankiness she said to them get out a piece of paper and write down the names of all the students on the on the piece of paper then I told them to think the nicest thing that they could say about each one of the classmates and write it down it took the remainder of the class period to finish but as the students left the room each one handed the paper to the teacher Charlie smiled Mark said, thank you for teaching me, sister. Have a good weekend. That Saturday, I wrote down the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what everyone else had said about that individual. On Monday, I gave the students back the list. Some of them ran two pages. Before long, the entire class was smiling. Really, I heard whispered. I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know others liked me so much. No one ever mentioned that sheet again. I never knew if they had discussed it. I never knew whether they had shared it with their parents. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happy with themselves and one with another. She went on vacation. She came back to the Minneapolis airport. And you know when our wives go, <coughs> or <coughs> you know that you're supposed to make an announcement. And mother gave her this sideways glance and she said, Dad, my father cleared his throat, as he usually did before he had something important to say. The Eklunds called last night. Really, I said. I haven't heard from them for several years. I wonder how Mark is. Dad responded quietly. Mark was killed in Vietnam. He said the funeral is tomorrow and his parents would like you to attend. I'd never seen a serviceman in a military coffin before. Mark looked so handsome, so mature. All I could think of that moment was, Mark, I would give all the masking tape in the world if only you would talk to me again. The church was packed. Mark's friends, Chuck's sisters, 
sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Why did it have to rain on the day of a funeral? It was difficult enough. I was the last one to bless the coffin. As I stood there, one of the soldiers who had acted as pallbearer came to me. Were you Mark's math teacher? He asked. I nodded as I continued to stare at the coffin. Mark talked about you a lot, he said. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates headed to Chuck's farmhouse. Mark's mother and father were there. We want to show you something, his father said, taking a wallet out of his pocket. They found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper that had obviously been taped, folded, and refolded many times. I knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which I had listed all the good things each Mark's classmate had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. Mark's classmates started to gather around. Charlie smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top drawer of my desk at home. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put it in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It's in my diary. Then Vicki, another classmate, reached in her pocket, took out her wallet, and showed her worn and frazzled list to the group. I carry this with me all the time, Vicki said, without batting an eyelash. I think we all saved our lists. There was a teacher who caught something about...